You're listening to Legends Cast, a proud member of the Camp Legend Podcasting Network. This episode is brought to you by listeners like you. To become a supporter of the show, visit patreon.com slash camplegend. Hello and welcome to Legends Cast Season 4, live from Lexington. It's the Okay, guys. <laughs> yeah. We are back in the quote unquote studio. And by that, I mean we're course back around the Lexington dining room table. Airbnb. Uh, Shout Airbnb. out to Airbnb. Yeah. But we are, uh, what, six, eight hours, nine hours later now than what it was. Nine hours later. For last week's episode. Nine drinks deeper. Nine <laughs> Lorcana games later. Yeah, yeah. Um, One escape room deeper. <laughs> what, what's, so this is releasing end of September, third week of September. So you've already heard the bonus episode yeah. about all of the Lexington shenanigans, the uh, the cards that we games that we played, the hanging out with Six Summit, vape donuts, vape donuts, vape donuts. <laughs> <laughs> If you haven't heard it, go back to the bonus episode at the end of August, and uh, oh yeah, you'll be able to get in on it's all of time. the vape donuts and the kangaroo tacos. Kangaroo tacos, baby, yum 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 yum. Yeah, the Very kangaroo odd, tacos, but yummy, yum the, yum yum. The vape, the vape donuts, um, and the lolocana. Um, but man, let me tell you guys, we just got done with a six-game, six-pack draft and it was a lot of fun i swiss round robin that's right we each uh, so um i don't know if we mentioned this six summit long time listener of the show long time community member who has been leaving discussion about every game that we talk about every game and all of the stuff that we don't even talk about let yeah. me just be clear the, like, all the between, channels that we've forgotten honestly between the three of us we cannot hype up six summit enough to do him justice he is yeah been dude. such a, a a stalwart member of our Discord community that we appreciate so much and happen to have lived close enough that he was able to make the trip to, to Lexington uh, along with us to enjoy a uh, day of frivolity, including Lorcana cards and uh, elsewhere outside mm -hmm. of this Airbnb that we call home for the next 24 hours. Uh, and, and we taught him briefly Lorcana, oh, and yeah. he picked it up so fast well he's a he is a consummate card gaming yeah you know board game not guy, surprised so no surprise there well we he Just came in dude yeah he came in today and we did a bunch of stuff played a bunch of games of different types went to an escape room had some kangaroo tacos you know uh, you are the only one that had kangaroo tacos. i had a kangaroo taco uh and um and anyways at the end of it all um we uh also did the purpose of this episode a Lorcana draft with Six Summit, four of us, which is uh, awesome. So, real quick, uh, TBN, go ahead and explain to our listeners how this six this uh, uh six pack a uh, draft worked. Yeah, so we had a bunch of packs courtesy of our uh, of our friends over at Unplugged Gaming as well as uh, Unplugged Games Cafe. Yeah, uh, and the board game shop that will not be named because they're trash and right. they didn't know those what they guys, had those guys too. Mm -hmm. Um. And so because of that, we were able to get enough packs for us to run a draft. And the basic idea of a draft is we had we had six packs for each of our players, so ended up with a total of 24 packs. And so, um, and I think that's actually like a little bit more than what is suggested uh, for, for oh, drafting. Uh, I think they suggest four or five uh, for 
you know, a passing style draft, which is what we did. Typically with draft, you've got two different styles, right? So you've got the um crack them open and build a deck. You got the sealed where you get yeah. a stack, you crack them open, you just build a deck based on what you have. But then what I find typically more enjoyable. Way prolonged. It's longer. It takes so much longer, but it is a more communal, you know, experience. But it's like an event, right? Because yeah. you're gonna spend all this money on cards. Like just cracking some packs and making a deck and then playing against each other, like uh, then just build constructed decks. This I thought was cooler. Like this really, was really cool. so much fun. And and so what it was, we all sat around the table and everybody had their stack of packs. You crack the pack open. We sleeved them, uh, thanks to the thousand cards for fifteen thousand card sleeves for fifteen bucks deal that Mark found. I'm gonna look it up on Amazon and see how much it. Actually we we got to share that. Before, we got to share that in our Discord or something. Well, then if so everybody, everybody buys it, it, it won't be available for me to buy. I'm well, gonna send you guys one for forty dollars. Well, buy it three times before well, they before we release this episode. And you're that's fine. actually really smart. Yeah, you're gonna it's need really all that for all those champions cards. Anyways, uh, we already told that story. So the idea here yeah, is lied. that it was twenty five dollars. Is not fifteen. It was twenty five dollars. Still for 1,000 card sleeves, but it was for $13.55, $13.5, it was 500 card sleeves. So it's still not I mean, a bad that's deal, still a good right? that's still, 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 still good, good deal. Good deal. Yeah. Regardless, the way it works, we crack a pack, we grab a card that we want from it, put it down, and then pass the rest of the cards in the pack to the left. Everybody would pass uh, until you, and once everybody set their pack down and made their selection, you pick up the next pack. You, uh, you know, select whatever is in that grouping of cards, keep going, keep passing. And then in between rounds, uh, once everybody gets handed the very last card, the dregs of that pack, uh, you crack another fresh pack and pass the other way. And you obviously, and, and, and we did this with six packs, even though it was probably a little bit more than what I would do if I was to run an event at a shop, I would probably tone that down. But the point being, we really wanted to get a wide breadth of exposure the different cards and strategies. So we just said, you know what, we got 24 packs. Let's just let's just do an extra couple packs in this draft and really build some cool decks. And you know, as you go through that process, we're still learning the game. We're still reading the cards. So it went, you know, a little bit slower um than if we'd done something else, but what it did mean is these decks felt like our own. Very unique. Like and, all four decks felt. And unique. relatively refined too, because stronger than the starter decks. We had oh yeah. Because of the extra packs that we cracked up across this draft process, we had excess cards that the next step after we went in rotation back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and opened all of the packs that we had, we ended up roughly what was 70 about 72 cards. 72 cards is what you would have afterwards. And you have to narrow that down to a 40 card deck that does not have to have the dual color restriction. Now, I will say, I think it would be possible to do this. I think I could have built a 40 card deck with three colors. Uh, yeah, I counted. Three. I counted. I could have done it with three. If I had drafted with it intentionally in mind, I could have done it with two. I was only about five cards short of doing yeah. it with two colors. I didn't draft. With but the, I wouldn't with, have with been the, able to choose cards. I didn't draft with the factions in mind to, to do a two or three card yeah, just because types, we said yeah. that ahead of time that we weren't doing that. But I think it would definitely I think it would would be have been possible. Super easy to keep it to three types. You could have easily screwed yourself over though if you and somebody else chose a similar faction. Yeah, but you could you could really go hard on one or two colors and then you know get whatever seems good in the other colors yeah. and make those decisions sure. that way, especially with this many packs. But the the official rules is that from from you know Robinsberger about this is that there are no ink type restrictions in draft. And so you can play any cards you want of any ink type 
Um, and so that's what we went with. And, you know, obviously that could contribute to why these decks felt so much better than the starter decks, but I really don't think that was mainly it. I think it was just mm. the intentionality behind we had a pool of 70-some cards, we narrowed it down to 40, and so we were able to really think about, especially from what we learned from the starter decks, what makes a good deck. And the crazy thing is... Um, I think every deck had a really great idea and we went in completely different directions, all four of us. All four of us went in wildly different directions. So, yeah, I mean, do you want to, Mark, you've got your deck in, in your hand. Do you want to kind of run through what that draft experience was like for you? Like what, like here, here, I'll frame it for you. You know, when you were drafting, what made you pick what you picked? Yeah. And then in that deck, what were the key cards you were excited to get? So when it came to picking what I picked, um, the only real strategy that I had was basically getting big cards on board. So my thought was draft actually enables you to play a bit of a slower game, right? There's a lot of power in mid-range in draft, but if you can cheat to the late game, um, sometimes you can just sweep everything with a drafting deck. So what I did is I actually went after cards that would be able to ramp my mana up a little bit faster, at least in the beginning, um, which meant I found things like Mickey Mouse Detective and One Jump Ahead, both cards that can increase uh, my inkwell and, and allow me to move forward. Um, and then I looked for some big cards and draw. So basically I looked for the ability to get through my deck quickly. Now, there are some cards in this deck that I just never saw. Um, like, I never saw my card, the Queen, which allows you to draw a card every turn. Um, I, and there's a couple other cards that I didn't. And then the, uh, the side plot, the two side plots and themings of my deck was like, okay, I want to ramp. And then with what we cracked open, um, we cracked open a couple of powerful genie cards and those were actually cards that I cracked open directly. And so I put those in my deck because the genie cards were really powerful evasive units. Um, and then we also cracked open a couple of Elsa cards that synergized with Anna and with one another. And nobody else was really interested in grabbing those because they hadn't grabbed the ramp that would allow them to play them effectively. And so I grabbed up the Elsa and Anna cards. And then finally, I grabbed up Maleficent, which was one of the, crack the packs that I cracked as well. Um, the monstrous dragon card, which is just a super dope nine ink, um, seven, five, two questing that when it comes into play, gets to banish an enemy creature or an enemy character and really, really like that. So, so here, my whole strategy was really pretty simple, right? It was like, let's get some stuff that lets me ramp. Let's play some really big sort of end game cards. And then let's play cards that let me either cycle through my deck um, by letting me draw and discard in order to get to my ramp and get to my big cards. Or let's play cards that um, uh, let me draw cards and get further in the deck. And then the side plot of all of this was collect every single card that was from the Aladdin universe. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah, he took a I side had, quest. I had a yeah, boo. I had, I had cards with a boo on them. I had three different Aladdins out of the four Jasmines. Aladdins that are in the game. I had a Jasmine. I had two different, uh, three different genies. Um, I, I had, uh, I had 
what like a card that just had one, a, boo a bunch on of actions it. one jump ahead uh, yeah it had a bunch of actions yeah. it's just like it, does this card actually come from uh aladdin because if it does i'm going to you were all it. about it yeah you had to have it yeah it was just like when he, i didn't know what to get out about i just drafted aladdin yeah, yeah I, this huge stack of ridiculous aladdin cards next to this much smaller stack of frozen cards but in the end, um, I did not do well, uh, but I had a great deal of fun while playing and really enjoyed uh, getting Maleficent aboard on game one, which, just to be very clear, the mis- the dragon card, yeah. which when I drafted it, DBN said, you'll never get that to the board. I did. I inside gave of a so draft much crap for making it. And I drafted it and got it to the board in my in the very first game of the draft between the two of us. I got it to the board. <laughs> I and, ate, I ate my words. It's and true. I ate his super cool giant um, Tinker Bell. I yeah. ate it with my dragon, <laughs> and I lost that game. But it felt so freaking good in the moment um so yeah so that was my deck dbn what about yours you can comment well, i was mine, just gonna but- I, yeah i was just gonna ask a question so i kind of pulled some cards out here from my deck and i and it made me think like so what would you say you you told us a lot about the cards that you drafted around that inspired your deck what were some cards that you were like um were surprise performers or something like that something that you included and didn't know how it would do or something that you know, maybe people were passing up and you're like, I don't get why people were passing on these or anything like that. So I think the card that did really well that I didn't expect, I only saw it in one game um, and that was Magic Mirror. Um, Magic Mirror is a two cost item that when you exhaust it and pay four, um, you can draw a card. In a normal game, Magic Mirror is probably not good. It's way too much loss of tempo. But in a drafted format, when you oftentimes get into a top deck war, Magic Mirror is like, it's like a horcrux. Like, it's just so good, right? Yeah. It's just like, it's a, it's an extra life in some ways where mm. I'm drawing two cards every turn and you're drawing one. It's like, well, yeah, we're in a top deck war and you can still beat me by top decking the right deck if I get screwed, but I have twice the chance of yeah. top decking than you do in winning the game. The other one that was really good was actually Simba Future King. I actually played this in all three of my games on turn one because I drafted several of them, which allows me on turn one to draw a card and discard a card. And I think that's actually pretty strong. Yeah. I think that's actually pretty strong. I think it's really good. And then the last one is a four mana inkable card. It is in Amber. um, And it is You Have Forgotten Me. It's an action and each opponent discards two cards. Well, in draft format, when now what's interesting is the two games that i played this are the two games that i lost however this felt very good even in those scenarios it was brutal so he played it against me and i'll I'll tell you this i saw that going around i think that only one of them went around of this card of that card specifically and here's the thing i looked at that card and and this can bleed into my thing uh did you have any other cards that you were interested in and shouting out, um, I, I, I did make the sort of truth happen in a really clutch moment that almost won me the game, um, which is just a four uh, ink card that says banish this item, which you don't even have to exhaust it. It's just no. banish this item, and then you banish a villain character. So it's just an immediate removal for four ink uh, in red um, or in ruby that lets you banish a villain character. It didn't really come in awesome, but it, in two, the two games that I played it, one of them, I banished a Jafar, which was a really good moment. It actually yeah. almost won me the game. If it hadn't been for a couple of top decks, I would have won that game, I think. The other time, it actually forced Gibby, once again, I lost this game, but it forced Gibby to ink 
an otherwise very powerful villain because he's like, I only have one villain in hand. I literally can't play this now. So he it forced him to ink a good villain. And yeah, very true. I like yeah. that. It, it played it both as an aggressive and a defensive card. Um, aggressive as in I waited for you to play and then I reacted. A defensive card is in I put this down on the board and, and made said, you don't say, play villains. don't play villains. And it's like, ah, oh, man, I have this really cool villain. So I like that card too. Sort of truthless fun. I just want to say on the... Uh, the you have forgotten me card, the one that allows you to make your opponent discard two cards for four mana. Um, I saw that going around and, and like, I'll tell you as I bleed into my thing, my big issue is everybody else kept uh, pulling draw cards in their opening packs and immediately snatching them up because of course, right? Like um, friends on the other side was an auto draft for everyone else. Everyone else had at least one copy. I think, mm-hmm. um, some people might have. I think someone might have had two. Point I, is, each had I don't know if Stick had any. I had one. I know he did have one because I, I had I, one. So like those were just auto picks, right? Um, because they're just so strong. A song card that can get you two more cards. You don't even have to spin your man if you have something to exhaust for. Very good. Um, and so I started realizing, wow, card draw is so sparse. This is rough. I I saw that going around, and I saw a couple other cards. Um, a cruel chill or something like that is a card. Uh, or sudden chill. It's like a discard. A sudden one. chill, yeah. which makes your opponent discard, and it's a song. And and I saw those going around, and I would never pick it over the first card I want, but I started taking them out of the packs so other people wouldn't get them because I knew that people would do that, and I knew how badly it would break me if people started discarding my cards because I like I had no draw, and that that was something that really challenged my deck definitely because at the end of it all, after opening seven packs, passing them all around, I had a single card that could draw for me, which was Maleficent. I had a one uh, three cost Maleficent, and and here's the thing: so I I started with this idea that um, in a format like this, board trading, which had otherwise been pretty important, especially in Mark's starter deck, if you watch the starter deck games, um, Mark's starter deck did so much cool stuff with trading aggressively with with creatures, you know, uh, utilizing Maximus and things like that to take uh, advantage of being able to just kill anything they tried to use. So I went in with the idea after I saw a couple cards like Simba, Rightful Air, which is in the starter deck, Prince Eric, a card that I think a lot of people thought was bad or boring, which but I thought was fantastic. It's a two mana one three that can have challenger plus two. So it can hit, it can attack with a three three for two. So I said, what if I just really try to get some aggressive attacking guys on board early that can clear anything that they try to bring out? I can slow the pace down and then finish with some evasive units, right? And if they do start questing, I can kill them and potentially even trick the trades with some of the cards. So that was my strategy after the first pack or two, right? And so I started looking for cards uh, that supported that. Now, I had cards that nobody else really seemed to want, but it was the things that I was drafting, right? So things like Prince Eric, Captain Hook, Forceful Duelist, uh, which is the one cost uh, one, two with Challenger plus two. So he's attacks for a three, two for one. Pretty darn good. Um, and then Jafar, a four mana two five with challenger plus three. I grabbed a couple rush cards as well. There's Zeus uh, and things like that. And so I was like, I just want to take trades. I want to have creature combat and, and all that. Um, and with that in mind, there was like some cards that I think when we all were opening packs, things like friends from the other side, there were cards that was just like too good to pass up on. And, and what ended up being one of these, some of these auto draft cards for me was, 
uh, one of the first ones I found was Freeze, which sent me down that challenger rabbit hole because I said, if I can, the, the thing with these challengers is if they, if they never show you, show their face, if they just sit there and say, I'm not going to do anything, you can't attack me, you can't do anything. But if you draft a couple of freezes, a two cost action that exerts a character so that you can attack them, all of a sudden you can really, your, your board can snowball. So that's how I went down that road which led to drafting three copies of Maximus, only one of which ever saw the board. Uh, but <laughs> I, stand, I stand by the, the value there. I stand by the draft value. Maximus is a good card just, just right, right out. Yeah. Um, it's a three cost three, three that uh, when you play this character, you give an enemy character minus two attacks. That way you can attack into it, not take as much damage in return. Flotsam and Jetsam, the two eels, Ursula's eels. Uh, I grabbed one early because I just knew how good both Rush and Evasive are. And then I just looked for them for the entire rest of the draft, and, and I managed to get three of these guys. So, um, and they work together, obviously, in a forty card deck. You know, you're going to see them a good amount. And then the MVP card, just like in the starter deck games, uh, Shield of Virtue, which I had one of in my deck, but actually didn't use it a whole lot. I had um, I drafted two of them, and I said okay. if I'm going for this creature based removal strategy where I want to snowball a board. When it gets to these later turns, if anybody develops anything slow, Shield of Virtue is going to allow me to get so much value, both protecting the things as I quest, or questing and then clearing, or clearing and then clearing again. To be fair, the game that I won against Six Summit, I largely won because of Shield of Virtue. Look, Shield of Virtue definitely helped me in that game. Yeah, and so this was just an MVP card. And the only other thing I wanted to say on this, and we'll talk about the results and how the games win in a second, mm -hmm. but I drafted three cards that everyone passed up constantly. They would always fall to the last three or four cards. Nobody wanted them. And I was really happy. And I'm wondering, Gibby, if you had any cards like this of yours that you were like, yeah, and nobody seems to want this, but I think it's great. Um, the Cheshire Cat, and a couple people got them late in the rounds, but they always went to the last four or five cards. And they're so good. There's a There are three costs, zero, three in Emerald, but uh, they quest for two, which on a three drop is pretty good. And they have this great ability where if you kill it, it kills you back. So it's a guaranteed thing where, yeah, they can value trade into it, and it's a one-to-one, -one, but, you know, sometimes it can be really awkward. They won't have a lot of low-cost things late in the game. Mm -hmm. So if you play this late in the game, they're not going to want to trade their big Captain Hook or, or whatever into it. So pretty cool card. Megara pulling the strings, this was huge for me in multiple games because it's a, it's a two-cost two-one that gives an ally plus two attack. In the starter decks, it was felt useless. But in this draft format, when I, with, especially when I knew I wanted to be trading aggressively, being able to like, oh, there's a there's a uh, big princess with a huge amount of defense. This is going to get my guys to those number thresholds. It was really helpful. And then the Dingle Hopper, which has became became something of a joke. I think I still believe that card's crap. It's a one cost item that allows you to exhaust once per turn and heal one point of damage. And you know what I did that I felt was creative. I only ran one one-drop character, the one Captain Hook that I drafted, but I had two Dingle Hoppers. I had two Shield of Virtues. Those were my one-drop plays. Getting those down on get curve. Get the items down on curve. Get the, the items down on curve, and I don't have get to break them out later in the game when they don't get as much value, and they get value for the rest of the game. They're already down. I don't have to think about it. So I felt like that was a really cool thing, too. Um, Gibby, tell us a little bit about your deck. So, you know, what was your plan going in? Did it change at all? I had a couple different what seemed to be themes in the game uh, in my draft. So overwhelmingly, my deck ended up with a, a common theme and keyword, which I wasn't sure 
because we were un- we, it's not like we knew what the whole pool of cards was going to be amongst all of the packs that we were going to pull for what was possible to see that obviously was, would have a an effect on what you would consider drafting or not consider drafting but uh, a keyword in the game that as we played some of our initial rounds and I saw a couple cards in the uh the base decks of was a card that I, I a keyword that I found was good and we've seen this an equivalent in other card games is what Lorcana calls evasive, but what would be uh, elusive in, let's say, Legends of Runeterra. Or flying in magic. Yeah, or flying in magic. So the uh, the inability for majority of characters, unless they have the matching keyword, to be able to challenge and or clear your unit. So I was like, okay, there's only one win condition in this game, which is the lore count. Yeah. What if I draft especially in a draft where everyone's decks theoretically are a little less refined or a little less yeah. uh, worked out. And I think my deck would have worked even better the less decks we had to pick from. And less, less, yeah, the less packs we used. The less packs yeah. that we had to cut down the cards with because everyone's decks would have been a little less refined and therefore the evasive would have been a little bit more impactful. But my deck was overwhelmingly evas- evasive and I want the whole goal was play uh, relatively between three, four, and five, and even six cost, play a bunch of evasive units, and if they don't have an evasive unit to, to check back on me, I can quest for free, I can I can build up my lore count, and I just run away with games without, they have to get creative and hopefully have direct damage or other tricks to be able to get rid of my evasive cards. And if they don't have any evasive cards of their own or tricks, then I can, I'm, it's pretty much a free guaranteed win. Now, what this deck didn't do very well is outpace a really strong board state, like which like like Six Summits deck had, which we'll talk about in just a second, or deal with some of uh, the bad early game draws that I saw in one of my matchups. So, um, a card as you asked DBM that I thought performed really well in this deck that a lot of people passed on was I think one of my major cards I really liked was Pascal. Pascal is a one cost one one that says if you have another character on board, Pascal gets evasive. He pretty much can jump on someone's shoulder in the story and be a cute little chameleon. Be a cute little chameleon and and go invisible and blend into their surround to their surroundings and get ingrained gain that evasive. So I could quest with him every single turn unless somebody else had evasive, which um, happened in the game, but uh, it isn't necessarily that likely to be able to be dealt with unless they have direct damage, which if let's say someone played a fire the cannons, an entire card that says deal two damage, I'm okay with a Pascal getting Mm -hmm. cleared if they have to burn an entire card like that instead of something that's more important. But I thought that did well. The Tinkerbells that I had, and I had several copies of Tinkerbells uh, across both the green, uh, the Emerald faction, the Tinkerbell most helpful, the um, Amethyst, Tinkerbell, Peter Pan's ally, um, and Peter Pan himself, I thought were really good mid-range cards. I think where my deck didn't perform as well as I wanted to were on two fronts. One, my two-drop slot was a little bit weak, and my one-drop slot was maybe a little weaker outside of the Pascals. Um, So I had a hard time getting to early, three four and five slot i did a good job about drafting card draw but on a couple of games i did uh see some cards in my hand that i wasn't really a fan of 
Mm-hmm. And another archetype that I tried to go into as a secondary archetype that I thought was going to require a lot less of an investment that I was incorrect about and I was wrong about in my deck building that every single time I saw one of these cards, I was unhappy about it huh. was uh, the song cards uh, that said, um, I had I had a couple Sebastians, which is a two drop in, in Amber that says it, it can basically sing above its weight class. Yeah. So it can, it can be considered a four song. And I had a bunch of songs in my hand that were either pulling cards out of my discard pile or uh, healing my characters, but because I was so heavy and evasive, the whole point of evasive is that you are unable to be touched by your opponent's characters unless you are initiating a trade. So I wasn't ever finding situations where it was advantageous for me to trade and then heal my characters. Mm-hmm. So it was just better for me to keep them evasive not a, and not trade and try to continue to build my lore count so all of these, a good 10 to 15% of my deck was not inkable right. and not useful. So mm-hmm. I definitely had, I think, a higher percentage, what felt like a higher percentage of dead cards in my deck than maybe I should have had. But if I got the evasive cards I needed to, the, the deck functioned very well and the evasive cards were hard to deal with. Yeah. Now, if we look at Six Summits deck, um, and he, we'll talk about results here in a moment, but he drafted... A lot of princesses um, in terms of yeah, synergies. Yeah, into the themes. Um, really did. Really drafted into the themes. Had a ton of cards, you know, has Ariel and Belle and Aurora and Rapunzel and Jasmine and, you know, Moana. Um, yeah, I think that's Mulan, the card. Like all of, all Moana of the Moana was the linchpin that really ran away with he, games. I would be curious to know, did anybody pass on Moana or did he crack that in his pack? Drop it in and build around. I them. never, I, I never. Maybe you opened the Moana. Maybe you didn't. Maybe he was the one who opened the. Moana I never saw Moana. I don't believe it. I ever passed on a Moana. I did. I definitely did not. So maybe Six Summit was the one who actually I, because. It. But I think that that's such a strong build around card, and if you get it early enough in the draft to be able to say, "Yeah, I'm going all in on this," you know, princess synergy, and if I get that Moana, mm. oh boy, yeah. I take that back. I think I did have the Moana in my in my card packs. But it was about halfway through our pack draw to where. What are you going to do if you didn't have any princesses? I didn't have any princesses. So, yeah, I, I what a, so a, a five cost three six with three lore is I mean, still not bad. It's a one but, six. It's oh, a one six. One okay. Six, a five yeah. cost one six with three lore. Yep. That's a really weak stat line with great lore. So, if you really need lore, sure, take it. But it, I didn't have any princesses. So, I, yeah. didn't, I didn't need it. Now, Six Summit drafted a lot of Sapphire, um, followed by Amber, and then, you know, declining until Amethyst, which is purple. He, he drafted the least. What I thought was interesting is he drafted predominantly Sapphire, which has a lot of princesses in it, and then Amber, which also has a lot of princesses, which makes total sense, right, because he drafted princesses. If you look at my draft list, I actually drafted nine Ruby, eight Steel, which I didn't expect, and then seven of Amethyst, um and uh sapphire and emerald and only two cards that were in um in uh, amber which mm-hmm. were actually two of the more impactful cards that i played yeah they were big um being be our guest and uh you have forgotten me um i actually drafted a lot more sort of like uh blended um or, or sort of balanced than what six summit did yeah 
I mean, if we're going through that, I, I we don't need to go through a lot of it, steel and interesting. A lot of steel and amethyst, but you know, it is interesting. I think that it's one of those situations where if you crack something like a Moana, you you play to that, and um, if you have the ability, and I I do think he was probably, and I'd be, it's a shame he he had to. We would have recorded with him, uh, but he had to roll out early in the morning, so he already hit the uh, hit his hotel and um, he's out. He's out. So. Um, we would have loved to have recorded with him. He can chime in in the Discord when this airs about exactly if he remembers at that point, uh, you know, what exactly happened. But, you know, with enough of these just value princesses, and by the way, a lot of them are blank or don't do a lot. A lot of the princesses in blue, especially. Um, the early ones. The like early Aurora. ones. Quest, quest heavy. A quest lot of them heavy, quest heavy. Quest heavy, but they often have uh, low attack and relatively decent yeah. defense. Um, and so well, Aurora Briar Rose is a two, two, uh, Jasmine is a three, three. Like you do blank. have the mini two, many two mana, two, three, um, you know, which bell is a two, three, bell is a two, three, for so three. Aurora, Aurora Regal princess is a two mana, two, two, a oh, regal princess but it quests for two. But there's a Briar Rose is four. Jasmine is a three mana, three, three that quests for two. Briar Rose is a four, two, five. Yeah. That quests for one, but it also tricks a trade. Yeah. Right. Um, Bell is a three-two-three three that quests for two, and it also um, can lower the cost of other items that you play. So a lot of these uh, blank princesses that, which I think is is credit to Lorcana's designers as a yeah. whole, yeah. which basically adds this additional stat, which allows them to balance the card, which is how much you can quest for. Yeah. Um, which didn't seem as important in our starter deck games, but became more important in the decision because there's a decision point in these yeah. games right where you go can i race can i get to the win yeah can, we, like am i going to get outvalued or if you know if i expose saw, myself can i get to the win we saw multiple examples of that where it worked and somewhere it didn't and somewhere maybe it shouldn't have and it did you know what mm -hmm. i mean so like we saw the full range and by the way um you know we're kind of going deep on the spoilers here by the time this airs we will have had these videos up on our patreon but if you are interested in watching these games we're talking about, first off, I thought I thought five out of the six, at least four out of the six were uber tight games. And all of them had some interesting plays and interactions that were really, um, I think, very enjoyable to watch as somebody who sat there and watched all these games. So you get to see all four of these decks play the other decks um, and see how that shakes out. We're going to talk about the exact results now. We've already alluded to a few of it, but you know, um, definitely check this out if you haven't. They'll have been out, so hopefully those who are already Patreon supporters will have seen it. So, you know, with that spoiler addendum in place, um, we each played each other once. Mm -hmm. um, I went uh, two and one, so I beat Mark and Gibby and lost to Six Summit. Um, Six Summit. Uh, beat myself and Gibby and lost to Mark. Mm -hmm. And then um, Mark, you beat Six Summit, Six Summit. I lost to you and Gibby. And then Gibby uh, beat Mark and lost to me and Six Summit. Mm -hmm. So Gibby was one and two. Mark was one and two. Six Summit and I were two and one. And because he has the head-to-head -head there, we've awarded Six Summit. I don't know if we said this at the top of the episode, but we have awarded him uh, the title of... Uh, He's the draft Lord champion. Draft champion. Draft champion, so yeah. reigning draft champion of Legends cast comes in, whoops the uh, the hosts of the show. Yeah, so Six Summit, there's a trophy and a giant check 
um, headed to your house. The check isn't written out for anything. Um, the trophy isn't real, but it's headed the there. Isn't real. <laughs> the but, check is blank and addressed to no one, but you can fill it out and like address it to yourself, man. Pin it to the wall if you That's want right. to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we didn't put anybody. Legends cast name is in the top left hand corner of that check, but we aren't. A, we aren't registered to We don't bank, have a bank. So we're not an LLC, so, so good you know, luck. Good yeah. luck tracking me see, down. See, take it to Wells Fargo and see what they <laughs> yeah. do with it. See what they- so, 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 you know, we had these uh, great games. A um, couple I wanted to highlight of my games. You know, Mark, you and I had the very first game that we recorded. Freaking toe-to-toe to the very end. Bro. Oh, my gosh. I think that might have been the most hype I was of all three games. I drew all but four cards that game and still lost, but I drew. But it was very close, like 14 I, to 20. 14 to 20, and if you if I didn't hit that 20, you were going to hit 20 on your next turn or something we like that. Very, very close. I, I close. was pretty close. It was it. always at the point where I was always just like, seemingly one turn away from controlling the board. Yeah. But it helped me to learn something about this game because you cannot just attack things unless you have a way to like freeze them or exert them in order to target them. Mm-hmm. Um, they're always going to basically be able to get some sort of value out of the cards that they play, which is yeah. not the case in almost any other card game. That's very unique to this card game. So if you fall behind, it is actually possible for you to lose with like you can fall far enough behind that it doesn't matter that and they you gain just play control one of the card board per turn and quest with it and yep. then you kill it and they yep. play one card per turn and quest with it and you kill it like and that they can, can outrace you right yeah. there there's a there's a very real point in this game that is more intricate than other games because in other games you're like oh I'll just control the board um and I don't care if I stop you at one point from victory mm-hmm. because you'll never get to do anything ever again and then I'll eventually win yeah right. That is not the case with this game. You no. can't do. You can't play that at way. Least, nope. At least not, not until you can really fully flesh out your decks. And I don't even think when you can fully flesh. Out I your think decks. it will still happen sometimes. I don't think it. I. I don't think it'll ever go away, even in fully constructed decks. I do think it will have a reduced chance where. I you, guess if you have four Elsas, like the top yeah, Elsas, four, four freezes, four or, Elsas, or four genies that bounce things, or four. You know what I mean? Like. Maybe there's a control deck that I think, with four ups could do. I it. mean, every every you'd have to be pretty intense. Every faction has some sort of removal. Um, mm-hmm. I think except Give for away. yellow. I think yellow is the only one that doesn't have any kind of direct removal. Maybe blue. I know that green, red, purple, and uh, steel. Yes. Yeah, so steel, amethyst, emerald, and ruby. Ruby all have some form of removal. Um, and so what that means, of course, is that like. There's going to be ways that if you want to be playing that strategy, you can do it. But mm-hmm. obviously, you know, there's also going to be more games. The the more constructed, we noticed this too. The more developed these decks were, the more times that winning the board did result in a uh, snowball effect in terms of the questing, right? But also, there were still these times where because of the nature of some of the characters' uh, stat lines and stuff like that, if they can quest twice before getting taken out, I mean that that's absolutely huge, and that's something that Six Summit Sec did fantastic. You've got these five defense, you know, Auroras that it's like, hey, I can. He drafted like seventeen princesses between the three factions. He had princesses in for the record, like seventeen. Like yeah, a, a lot, a lot. Um, but anyways, our game, Mark, I just thought was just a real you know brain burner too because I'm you're working on drawing these cards, and I I did something that I did to Gibby too. I think my my plan, which was the uh, sword of virtue, uh, shield of virtue, 
being something where because you and Gibby both were utilizing your card draw so heavily from the mirror, Magic. mirror on the wall, um, I was able to do something that, Mark, you and I talked a lot about afterwards, which is this uh, shield of virtue and um, being able to eat three mana to not develop anything but to protect something. And in a slower game where you're trying to ramp and you, most of your turn is being spent um, building up your mana reserves or your, your inkwell and or drawing cards to find the exact card you need, I was able to protect my things from the couple paltry guys you put down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, 100%. I thought that Shield of Virtue was... Shield of Virtue is a great card. Is It was super strong in this environment. Um, and the one game that it wasn't strong was the game that you lost. Like I would argue it was strong in that game too. I, think I was it, able to uh, get okay, I think it was strong in that game. It, it wasn't, wasn't as great. It, it was not dominant. as game breaking. Yeah. It was not as dominant. There was there was harder decisions to be made yeah. with the Shield of Virtue in that game than there was in the games with me and Gibby, where it was almost like a no-brainer a lot of times yeah, with me and Gibby. For sure. It's like, yeah, I want to use Shield of Virtue. I'm gonna I'm just gonna because I gotta try to maintain this card cards that I have in my hand. There were key cards on board right? that I was like, mm-hmm. I can't let yeah. them get rid of this. So I got to protect Whereas there it. was a couple of games in that game with a couple of rounds in that game was six summit where you were like, ah, do I, do I protect this captain hook or don't I protect this captain? Hook? Yeah. But the decisions were definitely do. harder. Yeah. The, having harder. the option was always mm-hmm. incredible. Oh yeah. That was great. But I mean, there was even a point in that game where you were like, I'm at the point now where I haven't inked enough. Yeah, to be able to use my shield of virtue and develop in the way that I want to develop. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so it got to the point where it was costly. It just wasn't wasn't costly in our games. But both me and Gibby came up against the shield of virtue, and uh, just smacked our head off that thing. Well, yeah. So shield shield of virtue only costs one, so it was able to, to be to able build. To, yeah, so it was able to be played onto the board at one, and then just ignored until he had enough. Until Ian had enough mana. Yeah. Uh, enough enough ink to be able to say okay i can i can shield of faith and also do something else shield of virtue and also do something else yeah. so we're now at 5 6 ink i can develop a 3 coster on board quest with somebody and then ready them and i'm still continuing to build towards something but i'm not sacrificing much right okay so i mean 6 summit 1 we drafted, we've talked about the four decks that we've drafted. We've talked about some of our highlights of those games. Now that we've been outside the starter decks for a night, right? And I think that there, it's an important thing, right? When we talk, when we talk to our, our viewers, our listeners, to, to come back around to some of the stuff that we do talk about on, on a normal month of shows, right? Yeah. Meta, deck collection, all of that sort of stuff. We're not going to get into all of that. But I do want to make sure that like it, so like next episode, which is gonna we're gonna record much later, right? We're recording these three episodes for like on like literally a day, right? Yeah, we've recorded three episodes today like and today. six games of of uh, of recorded great videos pace six of just today, and there we're, was we're a making whole our bunch. money's worth here. Yes, we know? are tons of tons of content. My point is, later this month, we will record an episode where we'll give you the final thumbs up or thumbs down. Are we going to keep playing Lorcan into the future, or aren't we? And th- there's the added thing with this game, right? Where it's not just, oh, I can't get it on my phone. I can only use it on a on a computer or whatever. There's the added thing of like, I can't use it on a computer unless I'm using this. Pixelborn. It, unless, unless Pixelborn's still around in a couple of weeks, yeah, right? When we'll this see. comes out, we'll we see. We will see. Like, I need to go find a local place where I can play this game or I need to play it within my own family. 
that's adds complication. But I think it's cool, like at this point, out of all of the things that we've cracked and played and what we've enjoyed, right? What's your favorite card or favorite thing about Lorcana after this blitz of a weekend of playing it? Yeah, Gibby, you have a you have a thought on that first? So you talk about favorite cards. I, I while I think about that, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and talk about my favorite like thing about this game. And granted, I don't have a whole background in I don't have a background in Magic the Gathering, nor do I have a background in some of the other games that have a little bit more of a resource kind of thing to it, like with the, we've talked about with the lands or whatever. I do like the intricacy here. And like, like, like we've talked about how Lorcana is not the most complicated game to learn or play compared to some other games out there. But what I think Lorcana, one of the major complexities to it that I think needs to not get swept under the rug here when it comes to constructed deck building, which is our next step here, right? We've played these, we played the standard base decks. We took all these extra cards and said, let's mix match and mash them together to make these amalgamation decks that of our own creation. Which I think was good for us to like, you know, learn a lot of it was the, a, the it was a middle things, it was a middle know? step and it got us I familiar think, with yeah, a lot of cards. I, yeah. Um it was like a wild format for Lorcana, yeah. like the early stages. And now we're going to, because that's our next interest when we take cards home for each of us individually, is building constructed decks. It's probably what we'll do after we get off of this, this episode. Um, I think that's something that is complicated enough in this game that I really like, that is, is an implication for deck building, is trying to find, which I don't think even we have an answer for it yet, is the balance of... Uh, inkable to non-inkable cards in a constructed deck. Uh, that's really that's a good point. Yeah, so really like there are plenty of times I even felt in my in my 40 cards I ended up narrowing down in my draft deck that I maybe had a little bit of a weight that was too closer towards cards that were niche enough or cards that were uninkable where I was breaking hand and in a game that is so possible to go end up in a top deck you have to mitigate the you have to mitigate the situation where you draft where you uh, pick up something from your from your deck that is unusable and that happened to me multiple times and at minimum what's one situation where you pick up something that you can't use it's uninkable and you need ink so like you have to find the right balance of powerful non-inkable cards versus inkable cards that just give you a, a slighter chance to not have a downside. I think a card that I really like in this game is Ready Your Swords. I do love that card. Ready Your yeah, Swords sword. is such an underrated card for me. When so it's a five cost card in steel. Yeah, that says song. Deal, song, which it, you're right. In certain cases, if let's say you're, you've combined amethyst with steel. And you have uh, the three cost aerial out that says I can sing up, I, I can count as a five yeah. towards a song and you tap her and you play the song uh, of uh, Ready Your Swords. It deals two damage to every opposing character on the other side of the board, which is phenomenal. And it was clutch in turning the tide in a couple different occasions across all of our experiences so far this weekend. I think that card, and I think direct damage is something that is so 
over or it's it's it seems so unimpressive when you look at it from just like a what does it do kind of thing because we're so used to playing card games that have direct damage of some sort and in some points because there's so much direct damage across all the all different factions like in like Legends of Runeterra for example or Hearthstone you almost become numb to it you're like this isn't a new concept so therefore it's not impressive to me but in a game like this where there isn't a whole lot of it it is so much more impactful mm-hmm. like Steel yeah. has a great Direct removal. Red has great direct removal. Yeah. And that card being one of the like best AOE cards along with the Engorge Tinkerbell, whatever the heck it is. <laughs> Engorge. Uh, Engorge. I call her Engorge Tinkerbell. Uh, it is called Giant Fairy. Tinkerbell, Tinkerbell Giant Fairy. Engorged Fairy. Uh she <laughs> she also does a whole bunch of AOE damage, but that's a great card for me that I have really been enjoying seeing uh, get play. Yeah, absolutely. DBM, how about you? Was there a favorite game this weekend or favorite card this weekend? That I mean, I know we know that Mad Hatter was, but now that you've drafted, right. yeah, was there one that <laughs> stuck out even you, more? I swear to God, if you say Shield of Virtue, oh man, I can't <laughs> say Shield of Virtue because I know how tilting it was for everybody who played against me this weekend. I did um, not find it that tilting, but I know it was. Gibby yeah, it found was it very I, tilting. Yes, I did. I think Six Summit did too. Um, look, it, the thing is, man, is it, it 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 exploits somebody who has an off turn. If somebody can't develop something on like on curve, Shield of Virtue exploits them, and it's tough. And you know, because in the starter decks and draft, yeah, you're gonna have off turns, mm-hmm. um, and so it you know. Uh, so that's a really strong card. And so I feel bad picking it. So I'm not picking that. A Mad Hatter probably is still my favorite card. And all of these green cards just, to me, feel so exciting. I literally just can't wait to get my hands on these green cards and just start building uh, bizarre decks with May them. I make a suggestion for green? Uh, sure. Mother Knows Best. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was a fantastic card this oh, weekend. Oh, I... It absolutely was. I mean, the tempo you can get with that, especially with something that's going to, you know, where you can sing it into play. Like, imagine that with Cheshire Cat, and you're going to sing Mother Knows Best into play with the Cheshire Cat, and then if they try to, oh, now Cheshire Cat's exerted, well, you don't want to take this guy on because he'll just kill you back. Like, there's there's a lot of tricky things like that. I'm very, I'm, I'm very excited about that. I will say Steel did grow on me a lot in because I drafted so many Steel cards in this draft, and though they are pretty straightforward it was exciting to see the more tricky cards in purple and green that i could pair with them so these cards are like a lot of challengers yeah some damaging it's kind of straightforward um but you had these great cards that would enable you to say hey i i've got this really boring uh, it's a big stat line but then i'm gonna heal it Mm -hmm. or but then i'm gonna ready it or, but then I'm, you know, and you can play to the strengths of those steel cards that were like, I'm, I'm these big guys. I thought Hans, 13th in line, I had the coolest play of the, of the, of my weekend, thanks to Hans with a Megara and a, um, uh, what was the other card? And I had a Maximus that was already down and was able to take out Six Summits Moana that he just played down. And if I hadn't done that, it was game right there. Yeah, and, uh, and, yeah, he was in a really good spot. And it was just a play. Oh, and I used, um, I used Freeze, which, by the way, Freeze is going to be one of the int- best cards. This is Shield of Virtue level power. I think this is one of the most powerful. Freeze power- is very good. I think this is one of the most powerful cards in the game. 
Um, and this was a very fun card to play. Again, these tricky cards with the stability of the stats you got from Steel, that was a high point of the, at least of the draft, but also I think of the weekend. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really hard for me to choose a card that I love the most because I really did enjoy a lot. So I'm going to I'm gonna make like an honorable mention. I think that Elsa's Spirit of the Winter was yeah, an honorable mention to her. Her ability to freeze and keep locked up a couple Big of cards card. I thought was really, really quite cool. Um, I really, really liked that. Um, the other one I want to make honorable mention of is it, this, you know, it's really hard to say. I think maybe I'll just say that this was my favorite. Versus my honorable mention. And that was Maleficent Sorceress, um, which is a three mana two, two. When you play it, you get to draw a card. Yeah. I dude. think that that card is just, that's like a, Hey guys, go get three, go get four of those. Like it's yeah. a common, it's easy to get your hands on. And it uh, can sing friends on the other side for you. Yeah. It's yes. not going to trade well. No, but it's going to keep that card advantage. Like, there are plenty of vanilla 1-1s that are, or vanilla 1 costs that are 2-2, with the same stat line as a 3 a three cost for 2, like, like, like a 3 cost 2-2. Two, two. But, like, how much how much lore does that Maleficent have? I think just one. Just okay. one. Okay, so you're getting, basically what you're saying is, is 2 extra ink worth drawing a card? And... I'd argue in some cases it really can be. Oh, I would argue in a lot of cases because you guys were paying four. I would argue a lot of cases it would be because you guys were paying four to draw a card with the magic mirror mm. multiple turns in a row. Yeah. I would also say that the last honorable mention for me is Genie Powers Unleashed, um, which is kind of the big, the big yeah. eight ink genie um, that comes in with a shift six, which won me a game. Um, because it I almost won the game against six, me. Almost won the game against you. Um, evasives. It's a three-five. The quest of three with evasive, which is nutty. But then, in addition to that, whenever this character quests, you may play an action cost of five or more, five or less for free. Now, I didn't have a lot of five or less action cards, but the two times that I played him, I did get to play the grab your swords or whatever it is card. Ready, yeah, ready yeah. your swords. Ready your swords. Like, I got to play that, which allowed me to, you know, swing two damage on my entire enemy's board and clear a couple of things. If you ran that with a deck that actually ran a lot of action cards that gave some removal or gave some songs that let you search for cards and pull cards out of your deck, it would be very, very strong. Um, I, I really liked that genie card. Um, I thought that was a lot of fun. Yeah, isn't Dragonfire five? That's a five cost red card. Yeah, five cost so red card. So if you went, so if you went Emerald Ruby, yeah, you could you could pay. You have forgotten me for free. Yeah, you could play. You have forgotten me. You could, you know, yeah. You just you literally get three points towards winning make the your, game, and then remove make something. Make your opponent or discard make two your opponent cards out the two. gate is nutty. If you're can playing I, steel, just deal two to everything on your opponent's board. Yeah, lots of cool stuff you can do. Can I ask you guys a question? Now that we've played a little bit more, something I've been thinking about a lot. As far as I know, this game has zero, and I mean zero, card search. And in a 60-card deck, which we still haven't done a constructed 60-card deck mm -hmm. yet, hopefully we'll get a chance, maybe just play one or two games after we break these down. Um, but there's no card search, at least to my knowledge, and I think this game could benefit from it. Now, you can't go too far the other way. Well, they've done because Gibby's really gonna smart. think about. He's thinking about Pokemon right now. Well, I'm I thinking am. About he's thinking about Pokemon. He, I, I, I am. I am because because it's Pokemon. What I saw on Pokemon. So for the reference, I'm not a Pokemon TCG player, 
And uh, Mark and Ian definitely have their their heads wrapped around how to play Pokemon TCG a lot better than I do. They're, they're playing it on a somewhat regular basis. And they yeah. played a couple of games against each other, at least while we've even been here, and had the interest of teaching me on how to play it. And after watching a couple of games of them, I'm like, I have no interest in doing this. This is dumb. And this is my opinion. This is yeah. totally my opinion. This and it needs to be needs to be said because if, if you play Pokemon TCG, I'm not invalidating your, your no, life no, with this yeah, game. Yeah. But my major complaint with the game is that it is so over overdone at this point because it's been out for so long that every deck now to the point is, oh, turn one, I'm going to play this card, which is going to allow me to search my deck to do this thing, and then yeah, pull this you thing search out your deck like a million times. But and, but keep and, in mind, there's no mana cost with those cards. Sure, and it doesn't have to be, but the whole point of having a deck and having the idea that you don't see every card in your deck constantly yeah. is intentional. And I you when you have a bunch of search your search your deck for a certain card, you invalidate cards like uh like like was it search your brain or know your brain, learn your well, brain? Yeah, that I mean, pulls two cards from the top of your deck and puts one on the bottom, puts one on the top. Like that's a worse version of every other search your deck card. No, not necessarily. Can I pitch you an idea? So can I pitch you on a card? Let's let's imagine because we've been talking about this and geeking out about how fun it would be if Encanto was in the game, right? Now, now let me paint you a word picture here. You've got Encanto cards, right? And let's say they have a keyword, um, uh, Madrigal, right, for all the family members. Okay. And what if you have a song, maybe a three-cost song, the family Madrigal? Search your deck for a Madrigal character and put it into your hand. Could care less, because all that's going to do is enable the the rest of the uh, production team to make that for other abilities, and the next thing you well, know, you've got one for yeah, okay, every, every family. Yeah, but okay, you could make that same argument for literally any mechanic in the entire game, though. Yes, but not one that gives you the ability to look at 40 well, different cards and that, pick one. That's something that would make it unique, right? Like, I'm not saying you do this for every... You're... I'm I'm getting I'm, mad right now. I'm, like, I'm, I'm legitimately... You, you, can't, you can't say... You cannot make an argument against something that would be interesting or cool because the argument is, if the developers suck, then everything's bad. Like, you, you can't... You have to, at it's a certain a, it's point... An, it's an enablement that we've seen happen in every other yeah, game. Yeah, but you can't hold... You can't hold these people to the same standard. So I'm shifting through to see if there's any cards that actually do do that. So I, I, I will say this. So when you're thinking about Pokemon Gibby, I'm thinking about Magic, right? Um, one of the most powerful cards in Magic was Demonic Tutor from the very beginning. And then shortly after that, Vampiric, Vampiric Tutor, which do the same thing, right? Demonic Tutor, black, colorless, search your deck for any card and put it into your hand. Vampiric Tutor, one black, pay two health, search your card for any deck. Put Thank it you for explaining those because I would have had no yeah, idea. I have no idea. So, so, yeah. so, I mean, that, that, that's what originally it started with Tutor's cards, right? And so that's why in sure. Pokemon, you call them, people who play Magic call them Tutor cards, right? Yep. Nest Balls or Tutor cards. Right, because Vampiric and Demonic Tutor allowed you to search your card for specific sure. debts in Magic the Gathering. Now, I will say this. So what Magic has done really well is limited that. What Pokemon has done poorly is had that limitless virtually, right? Yes. And so, and they've created cards that have accelerated the game to the point where it's an entirely different game. It's not even the same game. I think if you begin printing cards... To, to Gibby's defense, I think if you began printing cards and did it in a way that you weren't really intentional with limitation, 
um, you would accelerate this game and destroy what we played today. It would be an entirely different game if you kept doing that. I, I don't think that very limited tutoring is bad for a game. I just think it has to be very limited, right? As long as they are, as long as they're associating a an ink cost with all of this, then it's not free. Like you're talking about it's in the Pokemon TC in, in the Pokemon TCG game, which and in itself is some sort of a cost, right? So I can see where tutoring would be okay in a game as long as there isn't a cost associated. But if it is literally a you start with a a decent number of cards in your hand, and what we've seen is that hand cost and hand value is important in Lorcana, at least at the base game. Now, that's not to say that in in what they're calling the initial 200-card-ish pool, right? 204. 204-card-ish pool of... Uh, Which isn't that big. ...of Lorcana. And that encap- encapsulates all of the different uh, cards that, it, that range across all six uh, different ink types. They all have a, an ink card associated with them, and there isn't a whole lot of card draw right now they're calling that chapter one now chapter two will be the next expansion chapter three it'll keep going on from there they'll probably come up with different nomenclature and all of that yeah, I for think it will, but. but naturally i would expect more card draw expanding to be mm. a thing that that happens in later chapters and maybe we put less emphasis on hand size and the idea that you end up in a top deck battle being a a common occurrence after later chapters but right now at the base set with chapter one hand size and the amount of cards you have in your hand and each card matters so much that as long as you are playing a card if it was searching if it enabled you to search your deck but it was an ink cost and a card cost like yeah you, you like play you, like an action then, then that's okay right like, that's, that's what i'm saying that's fine but where i have a problem is that if they build that into the if they build that into the season early and then they end up expanding and building themselves backing themselves into a wall then it becomes very i don't tough. think i don't i so my issue i hear what you're saying i think that the problem with that is inherently like defeatist like that's kind of a defeatist mentality because you could say, th- say the same thing about dealing direct damage. If they design too much direct damage, they back themselves into a corner. I'd agree. If with they that. design too much of that, so like, but you can't be afraid for them to innovate in the game. And I can see some really cool things like you know cards where, um, I, I was thinking of a card like they already have reflections. The song from Mulan is already a card, but I was like, what if this was a card a little more expensive that allowed you to, um choose a character that you have in play and search your deck for a character of the same name but different version and put it into your hand. You know what I mean? And that could work really well with these shift decks, but obviously it would come at some sort of cost. Yeah. It costs You're trading one card in your hand for a different card in your hand, so you're not netting a card. And when you play that card, unlike Maleficent, it's not going to replace itself, right? And then you also have the mana cost of both playing the card to search and then no. playing the card when you want to actually put that card on the board. Now that there's card, a lot of costs. Now going what on you here. just proposed to me is being able to search for something of a similar name is something that is a lot wide is a lot more widely available in the game across all of the different six families. Sure. Now I my fear would be, and this is part of it, is if they did a family magical as we as we sure. talked about. They they seem to be limiting certain uh, archetypes or certain families, or I'll say, or 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 tribal tags to only a couple ink types. Now, if that proves to be above power level, 
then you 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 put the other other factions at a at a at you def- just, well, we're we're getting way too in the weeds on a balance that doesn't exist. Well, I feel like you're 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 objecting to a balancing issue that doesn't exist because the concept here is like you're like the concept here is could search cards work in this game? And your objection is what if they unbalance it? And I don't feel like that because you can make that argument for literally anything else. So it doesn't actually make that argument about card search it makes that argument about not trusting the devs and that's a very different thing it's also just a it's also just a a function of uh it is it is a is a facet of a of a of the game that i'm not a fan of which is being able to search your whole deck and it's it, it for for a specific thing regardless of what game it's in whether it's balanced or not it's just not a mechanic that i find interesting all right well that's, no, that's you're entitled to that yeah that's that's totally fair yeah and I, I think that for me um i only find tutoring interesting in l- limited yeah specificity tutoring. Yeah. very limited tutoring <laughs> and like and i think the games get in trouble when they start with limited tutoring and then they just be like what if we printed Ultra Ball? We see power creep in all sorts of games and it sure. comes in a lot of different forms and you know it's the job of the designers to not power creep whatever. I mean Hearthstone Hearthstone didn't power creep searching, but it sure as heck pow, you know power crept Russian charge and, power, and random yeah. new if, generated cards. If and, Robinsberger and you know, Disney have a 10-year plan for this game, all you can hope is that power creep will be slow. Or non-existent, or at least they have a good head on their shoulders. Or what are Or like, what's a good mechanic and what's not? Like, all you can hope is that they've got at least a plan going forward about I'm just what's, saying, what's going to happen. I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna throw my thing out here because I, I will, I will put my, I posed it as a question, and now I'm going to make my assertion that I think this game would be better with limited specific searching, because the issue is you have a 60-card deck, you only draw a single card per turn, and you are incentivized heavily to play two cards per turn. Mm-hmm. And card draws, card draws where I see this game getting out of control, not search. That's the thing that I, like that's the thing that makes me more scared is card draw, because of the ability to break that dynamic of eventually I'm going to run out of cards because I, I'm incentivized to ink one and play one, at least. And you know, boy, howdy, Swarm would be super hard in this. Like, inking one and playing two, you're going to run out of cards so fast, right? And so that's, I would be so much more concerned that instead of searching through a 60-card deck to get a specific card you want, especially if there was certain restrictions to it, I'm not asking them to print Ultra Ball. God knows I don't want that. Um, You know, but things like I described, like finding a different version of character already in play Mm -hmm. or finding a specific tribal tag if you pay the cost or whatever, I can see that as only benefiting the decks that don't have unlimited card draw because instead of drawing infinitely and getting volume they're getting specificity so what so, so what, my what, ass, my assertion is i think this deck is going to need search so so what or this game is going to need what search. what if you had to pick a gem type out the gate to receive something like that what would you pick oh amber because it's like it's all about community and I so like that's okay. its entire archetype is buffing uh, your allies and you know doing things like that, and I think that you you first you tie it to whatever the theme of it is going to be. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if you do something like the Family Magical, I I would envision that as a song in Amber that allowed you to search for a, one of those characters or something, right? Maybe it just searches for um, you know one of the specific characters, Louisa or whatever, whichever one you want to to print. Probably Mar. Uh, Maribel, 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 Maribel yeah. right? Because she's the one that sings it. My point is, can you search that, for the house? 
I think that'd be great. I want locations in this game. Yeah, locations. Locations would be so cool. I think they could. I think they could work just like stadiums. Absolutely. That's that's something I'm on board with. Totally. Um. Anyways, but my point is, I just I think this game is going to need search to stop decks that don't have access to amethyst with its infinite card draw it feels like at times because it's going to end up with a situation where everyone's going to want to play something in amethyst and i just genuinely think that down the road and it may not be this set it may not be right away but that you know for decks that aren't going to play um you know unlimited card draw they need ways to make sure they get the exact thing that they want in compensation. Well, there's no doubt that this game is going to run into, I mean, we've played enough card games to all know that this game is going to clearly run into just in base mechanics, a problem with getting to top decking and the game getting boring because you're just going back and forth top yep. decking because you're using two cards a turn and drawing one, right? Yep. So if you were able to ink a card from the bottom of your deck every turn and then draw one, that would be different because you would, you know, get it. Yeah, I mean, versus system had a very similar setup and you drew two cards per turn. Yeah. And so I think that that I think this is very clearly like that's going to be a problem with this game. And it'll be interesting to see how Robinsberger goes through that. One of the ways that Pokemon did it, you oftentimes played more than one card from your hand. Initially, it was like they played a lot of trainer cards that let you draw three cards, four cards. Right. There was so much draw in those trainer cards. Um, and you know, now there is some decks that run a lot of that draw and some decks that run a lot of that tutoring to go get exactly the card that you want versus drawing through your deck because there's so many cards that you want that you can't just tutor them, right? It's going to be really interesting to see how this, this game in particular plays out. The point is of all of this stuff is we drafted and it was fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, the draft, draft the dra- This is a fantastic draft game. It was fun. Yeah, we yeah. enjoyed it. There's obviously going to be issues with any card game that you play, and how the developers navigate the inherent issues of their rule set will largely determine whether or not this game is playable or not playable, right? I like, mean, that, that we played Hearthstone at the beginning. We don't play it now. There's yeah. a reason for that. Yeah. This, <laughs> this you know? base set, this base set seems playable. Like, this base set yes. seems very fun, seems like something that you could get into how the devs to choose to navigate the the game's inherent baked in issues moving forward will be really interesting to me. You know, if we just if because it's going to be hard to just change the whole rule set, but you're going to have to overcome some of this draw stuff in, over time. But I think it's yeah. been really good. I really enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun with you guys playing it. Same. I'm really excited to play it with my family as well and my daughter. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, any other last minute things we want to chime in with? before we close out the episode because we're a little over an hour and 10 minutes in. Not for me. I think this has been fantastic. And once again, thank you, Six Summit, for coming out Absolutely. and whooping us and, and laying claim to the draft champion of Legends Cast. The first and very, last, maybe. Very well-earned <laughs> uh, title. So lots of fun. Yeah. Thanks for coming out, man. Well, hey, guys, thanks for listening to this episode. It is late at night here in Lexington. We're going to wrap it up. And uh, yeah, we're going to have one more episode coming out about Lorcana that you're gonna be able to check out as we come back here in a couple of weeks after it's actually come out in Target and Walmarts. Um, so if you're wanting to check it out, check it out. And if you're wanting to know what starter decks to play or you want to watch all of these draft games, you're gonna be able to find those things over on our Patreon. So visit our Patreon. Uh, the link for that is in the description of this episode. We'd love to have you come and support us over there. Throw us a, a dollar a month, a, a nickel an afternoon. Uh, <laughs> uh, a cent a minute. Uh, yes. That would work cent. great for us, I think. We would love, if you do the math, we'd a love that. A ten penny at tea time. I don't know. <laughs> mm. 
And if you're from England, that'll be probably be a, a lot. However much. I don't know why ten, that was so funny. Whatever a like ten it. penny is. A ten penny a tea time. Well, ten penny a tea On time. On that note, uh, for all of you ten penny users out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Legends Cast, and be sure to come back again next episode. Thanks for listening to this episode of Legends Cast. You can join our podcast community by joining Discord using the link in the description of this episode. You can become a supporter of the show by visiting patreon.com slash camplegend. And don't forget to check out all of the other shows in the Camp Legend Podcast Network.